Inspiring stories, important topics. Welcome to Passion in Action from VTOS Healthcare. Hi, I'm Diane Paceres, and this is Passion in Action. When caring for those who are in the final stages of life, we understand that family members of the patient face unique challenges as they provide care to their loved ones. These caregivers who devote themselves to supporting the patient in hospice care also need support. Our team takes great pride in not only caring for each patient, but caring for the caregivers as well. On today's episode, I'll be joined by team manager, Ellie Beth Sawaski and RN Marty Selby. Together, we'll discuss how they approach forming a bond with each caregiver, best practices for communicating with caregivers, and what bereavement support looks like, and more. Well, welcome, Ellie and Marty. I'm so excited to have you both with us today. We're looking forward to a great conversation. Before we actually get started with our main topic, I would love to dive in and hear a bit more from each of you as to why did you choose going into the hospice profession? Marty, how about we start with you? I never even really knew about hospice until my best friend was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer and she opted for non-aggressive treatment. And at the end of her life, they had to call in hospice. And I was a nurse at the time. And so I just peppered the, the hospice nurse with what I needed to do to help my best friend. And I was relentless. And I didn't really care if they thought poorly of me because I asked so many questions. But in the process, they offered me a job. And so that is how I got into hospice. And that was in 1999. And it's been a very fulfilling job. Thank you for sharing that. Ellie, how about yourself? Yeah, so I grew up loving the geriatric population. I would do Meals on Wheels with my grandma and things like that. So when I decided to actually go into nursing, I knew that I wanted to work with that specific population. And it wasn't until I had met one of my friends for lunch when she was describing what she was doing as a hospice nurse that I felt really called to do that. Just being there for someone at the end of life just really spoke to me and what a special journey to be on. So it just, yeah, it called to me. And like Marty said, it's been very fulfilling. Well, we're certainly glad to have both of you in Hospice at Vitas. So today's session is about caring for caregivers. And to start, I'd love to hear more about why you think it is so important to provide care for both the patient and the caregiver as you're supporting them through the hospice care. Yeah, so it is incredibly important to provide care to both the caregiver and the patient themselves because a lot of times, actually all the time, you know, at the end, the the patient is unable to say what they want and what they need. And so it does fall on the caregiver and you need to be able to have a trust with them and have a mutual respect with them in order to provide the best care for the patient in order to be on the same page and have the same goals in mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Marty, what would you like to add to that? Well, the caregiver and the patient are so connected and it's, it's so important 
to be able to meet the needs of the caregiver. So it makes a, a complete team. If you don't meet the, the needs of the caregiver, then the, the needs of the patient are not met either. And just building on that, what do you think is most important to the caregiver? I think being able to relate together, to be approachable. I think the caregiver needs to find comfort in the nurse, in the VITAS team, so that if there's a problem, they can call, that the caregiver knows that we have on-call staff. I think so many times caregivers, they don't want to infringe. They don't realize how much help is out there and that they are not alone. Absolutely. Ellie, how about you? I think the dependability is a huge factor because I think dependability also builds that trust that you need to have with the caregiver in order to provide the best care for the patient. Because again, it's all about the goals of care and being on the same page. And like Marty said too, being able to relate to the caregiver, sometimes it's not even talking about the patient's illness. Sometimes it's talking about what their granddaughter did at the recital two days ago. You know what I mean? So it's also relating to them in a very real way. Well, and building on that element of trust, you know, you're entering into a patient and their caregiver's lives candidly at a very difficult time when they're so vulnerable. How do each of you begin to build that trust with that caregiver? Ellie? I think a lot of it has to do with dependability, relatability, and then also education. I think education is such a huge piece of it. And if you can kind of get on their level and be sure to educate about the process, it takes a lot of the fear out of it. And that is really, really helpful, I found, for caregivers, just being able to talk in their terms, being able to educate, and just the more information, the better. Very nice. How about you, Marty? What would you like to add to that? I know this is it's just so important to be where the caregiver is, to sit down and to block out everything else that you have to do after you have this visit, that you don't act like you're hurried, that they have 100% of your time, and that you're curious as to what's important to them and to have good follow-up as to what is important to them to listen and to do what is important for them rather than just really not thinking, oh, that's irrelevant. I'm not going to address that issue. To your point, each caregiver is a little different, right? You're probably customizing your support of each caregiver based on their needs. Can you give us some examples of the types of support you provide to a caregiver directly? in this process. Marty? I had a patient that his caregiver was his elderly sister, and they lived together in this sweet little house, and she could not get away. And so every Monday, and I think I did it for like a year and a half, it would be her time to go get groceries. So I would sit with the caregiver And I would make sure I did this assessment before she left and answered any questions that she was concerned about. But then she would go do her grocery shopping and I would sit at her kitchen table and I would do my charting. And that client has since passed away. And I call her maybe once a month to see how she's doing. 
And she still thanks me that she could go get groceries once a week. I never thought I would, as a hospice nurse, help someone get groceries. But it's just the little things that make a difference. It's amazing how some of the simplest tasks become out of reach for a caregiver who is spending day and night with their loved ones. Thank you for sharing that. Ellie, how about yourself? Any examples? Yeah, I had a patient that was 110 years old and she, yeah, she just hung in there. I had her for almost four years. So the caregiver and I, who was her daughter, we became very close and it quickly became, after I had done all of my education, it quickly became the visit after assessing the patient, just getting in touch with that daughter and really having a discussion about her life. And it was her time because her time was so consumed with taking care of the patient. She felt at my visits, it was the time to brag about her grandkids and tell me what was going on with her son, her daughter, and to be able to just dedicate an hour or two to that, to just really listen to her and feel like this was a normal you know, she was living a normal life as opposed to living the life of like a caregiver was really important to me. That's remarkable. So what are you generally communicating to and with the caregivers and how much time are you generally spending with the caregiver directly when you're caring for their loved one? Ellie? I think it depends on the patient. If the patient is less verbal, you'll spend more time with the caregiver. You're you know, after your assessment, your visit will then focus on the caregiver. And it also depends on what the caregiver needs. A lot of times I will communicate where we're at in the disease process, vitals, assessment, things like that. But again, just leveling with them and being able to communicate just about the regular everyday things is important as well. But yes, always educating on where we are in the disease process, I think just helps in the long run to get you to that goal of care and to get that patient comfortable and where they need to be. Marty, how about yourself? I think it depends on the situation of the day. And like Ellie said, you know, sometimes we don't communicate with the client because they can't. But to give affirmation and to kind of zero in on the caregiver and what is happening, like if a caregiver does not know personal care, if they weren't in the medical field before, some of them, they aren't aware where to position pillows and different things like that. So it can be in demonstration on how to care for their loved ones, or a lot of times it's assurance. If they're nervous or if they're upset, or then that can take more time. But like Ellie said, a lot of times you land up with personal friends in the process. It's all about being in tune to what the, what the situation is for that day. Some days you can get in and out really quickly, and there's other days that you spend a lot of time. The important thing is not to show that you're hurried in another area of your life, that they are the most important people right then. I think it's also like Marty was saying, the assurance piece is so important. And I think I always try and remind caregivers what a good job they're doing and how right they're doing by the patient. If they're saying, well, mom, I just know she wouldn't want to be suffering. It's always good to reassure and say, you're doing right by them and you're following through with what they wanted. And they're so lucky to have you. That's something that I always try to remind the caregivers of. 
they're going through a tough time themselves, are they not? And you're there to, to comfort them as well. And there's so much going on when you're in the home and you mentioned it. It's a very dynamic you know, situation that's evolving. How do you keep yourself on track? You've got a lot going on, both clinically as well as what you're communicating. And how do you ensure that you give all the information to the caregiver during that visit? How do you keep yourself on track, Marty? Well, I have a little binder that I take with me. It's, it's kind of my nurse's Bible and I have it all kind of organized. And so then I check things off. I just pay attention to that and have little memory joggers so that I can fill things out. And then I also have a binder in their home. And sometimes I have a family tab. And I have a tablet inside that binder and I tell my families, write down any questions that you have. And so when I come to my next visit, we can address those questions. We can, we can take care of anything that you need and we look at the meds or we make sure that everything is there. So I use pen and paper to, to have a checklist to make sure that I address everything that needs to be addressed. That's great. Sounds like some very good best practices there. Ellie, anything to add to that? Yeah, I think you just get in a rhythm too. When Once you start knowing the patients and the families, like you just get in a rhythm of what they need and you anticipate what they need. So it does help you to stay on track once you, you kind of know them. But yes, like Marty said, always good to start out. When I sit down with the caregivers, I always start out with saying, you know, what questions or concerns do you have for me today? So I'm certain that every now and again, you're faced with a more difficult situation. And so I'm wondering if each of you can provide an example of where you were met or faced with a challenge in dealing with the caregiver. You know, what was that challenge and how did you overcome it? Ellie, we'll start with you. So I had a patient at a facility and the family was just so resistant to the comfort care. They were very adamant that any type of comfort medicine was going to make their family member too drowsy and it was going to have bad effects on them. And that's where the education piece, I think, comes in because I was able to tackle that issue by leveling with them and just saying, you know, there comes a point in time where the patient can no longer be awake and pleasant or be awake and happy. We try and find that happy medium to where we can have them awake and, and happy. Um, but sometimes it comes to the point where if they're awake, they're going to be agitated or they're going to be in pain and, you know, they require that medicine. So I feel like just being able to educate them in a way that they understand too, because every patient's family is different. And so you need to figure out how they best learn, what language to use. But in the end, they ended up being agreeable to the medication and the patient was able to pass very, very peacefully. Very nice. Marty, how about yourself? Sometimes, especially in a home setting, that families think that someone should be able to sit by the bedside if there's not a symptom to manage and things like that. And so it's, it's really, I know our office if continuous care, it doesn't meet the criteria, they will up the visits and help. It's really nice to bring in the social worker and the chaplain and, and increase as many visits as you can to be supportive. And it is a scary time for caregivers. It, it truly is. 
So that to me is one of the hard things when you just can't be there 24-7. And so, you know, more phone calls and more assurance in little ways, I think helps. So, you know, as, as nurses, you build incredible bonds with those caregivers and those bonds just don't end once that patient passes. I'm certain you have examples of where you continue to support the family member, the caregiver after their loved one has passed. Maybe you can give some examples of that, not only, you know, uh, what the circumstances were, but how did you support them afterwards? Marty? Well, I have a family that I think the, I've been in hospice for a long time. So a little girl, she was like five months old. And so now all of a sudden she's in ballet and she's soon going to get her license. And, And so you, even though the patient passes away, the family that you were so close to, I mean, you were in such intimate times with these families and the families are still here. And if you see them on the street, I mean, there's just an automatic hug. And here, I think there's a lot of people who remember their hospice nurse because we were at a pivotal moment in their lives. And those people that you shared that with, that doesn't go away. And so when you see those people on the street or when you communicate with them, there's just a depth of closeness with those people. Absolutely. Thank you for that, Marty. And Ellie, how about you? What are some examples of how you've continued to support after the passing of a patient? Yes. So a lot of times the text message I will receive from family members is we feel like we're losing a family member, like another family member once their family member passes away, meaning me, because like Marty said, we just, you're so ingrained into these people's lives. And yeah, I do feel like we we touch them in so many ways and we do form such a bond. And a lot of times it is just in the form of a text message a few months later saying, hey, how are you doing? This made me think of mom. I hope you're doing well. They, they'll do the same to me. They'll, they'll text me and say, hey, I read this really great book. I thought of you. I hope you're doing well. As, as well as Marty, um, I have family members that, you know, still contact me from three years prior, just, you know, random messages and things like that. So it is just, it's so special to be that person for somebody. Absolutely. I can only imagine. And you also are handing off to bereavement support upon the patient's passing. What does bereavement support look like at VTUS? Well, they follow up for 18 months. And I know our Violetta, she does really well. When she's in her taking care of the client, she finds out what that client likes. And then she pursues those interests, whether it's music or whatever. And so she just pays attention to detail. And I know I try to call. If I think about a patient, I will, I will try to call and say, Oh, hey, I thought about so and so. How are you doing? So it's just kind of an ongoing natural thing. You know, I've had patients for four years and then they leave an imprint on your life. And when you, when something triggers you to think about them, I, I try to call and just, even if it's just a little bit, it, it makes, I think it helps with the loved one who has lost their client. You know, I just think it helps to remember those rather than never mention them again. I think bereavement is very important. Ellie, 
How about you? What's your handoff to bereavement and what are those services? Marty, I love that you said that they leave an imprint. I don't know why. I love the wording of that. That was so beautiful. Yes. So we are in very close contact with the chaplain and social worker throughout this process. And every week we have a team meeting and we always discuss the patients that have passed. Um, And the chaplain will say if he was able or she was able to reach out and touch base with the family. And it very much is what Marty was saying is case by case, it's following up, it's doing the phone calls and finding out what they need. Do they need extra grief support from a support group? Do they need to be more involved in their community? Do they they need to volunteer somewhere? And it's just figuring out what they need, what void they need filled in their life now that their loved one is gone. Talk a little bit about some of your personal experiences. So Marty, we'll start with you. Earlier, you mentioned that you became acquainted with hospice because you were a caregiver yourself for your friend. How has that experience as a caregiver shaped your work in hospice today? Well, nothing has been as hard as losing my best friend. She had a difficult death. She was young and she had four children. So I think she had great conflict leaving her family. It was nice to know that most clients have peaceful deaths. We have medicine and we have, we have support. And that has been a great comfort that not all deaths were as painful as the one I experienced first. It also has shown me that life is transient, that none of us know, and that relationships are so important. I think it was a life-changing event for me. I was in nursing before hospice. I got my, my IRN. I passed my boards on my 38th birthday. And then I just, nursing just, it just wasn't working for me. I was working part-time and then I was working home care and barely working like a half day a week. And then my friend died. And then hospice was more than a job. So I think um, the experience just made me realize the importance of living and of relationships. I think my friend is probably chuckling about the course of my life that happened after she passed away. Very heartwarming. Thank you for sharing that. So Ellie, you were a nurse prior to coming into hospice. How has that experience as a nurse shaped your work in hospice? I was a nurse at an OB-GYN office prior to coming to hospice. Um, So I was kind of on the other spectrum of things. I feel like being a nurse before coming into hospice was beneficial because you realize the importance of what you do in hospice after doing something different. I never felt fulfilled in any other nursing role. And once I came to hospice, it just, it felt so much like home and it felt so important. And I just so believe in the work we do in hospice because you get one chance to have a peaceful death. And it there's a lot of pressure on hospice nurses because of that. You get one shot at this and you want to do the absolute best you can. You want to do right by the patient. You want to do right by the family. And so I do think it was helpful to have some nursing experience prior to hospice just because it helped me to feel so fulfilled in this role and so at home. 
Very nice. So we've talked a lot about how each of you in your roles have supported patients and caregivers. Let's switch gears here for a moment and talk about how VITAS supports you in your role and in what you do for our patients and their caregivers. Can you give some examples of how VITAS supports you, Marty? Well, I think they listen. I know my team leader, I'm on the edge of retiring. And so I'm working three days a week. They respect my days off. We live kind of in a the country area. And just recently there was an accident. So my team leader called me <laughs> because the accident was in my county. She called me to make sure that I was okay. Well, you know, it's just the caring. The caring is very touching. And my community is 45 minutes from the office. And so I only come into the office once a week. But I really enjoy coming into the office because you see your friends and your acquaintances. So it's kind of like a family that you don't always see, but it's always good to see them when you, when you get to. Very nice. Well, I'm sorry to hear that you may be retiring, but I'm happy for you because I know that's what we all work for in our careers. So good for you. Ellie, how about you? What examples can you give of how VITAS supports you and your role and, you know, as you continue to serve? I could think of so many. I could talk the entire podcast about how VTOS has supported me. Um, a couple examples though. So I lost a patient a few years back. I was just so incredibly close to her. I had such a special bond with her and with the caregiver. And when she passed, when I had messaged the team that like, hey, this was the time of death, the chaplain actually called me to check on me to make sure that I was doing okay. And it was a team day. So I'd come into the office And I walked into the office and my manager like ran to me and just hugged me just because she knew that I would be struggling with it. And then on a personal level, I had a baby three years ago and went through some complications with that in VTOS, similar to Marty. They let me be part-time for a little bit while I, I dealt with that. And they were just so supportive, could not have been nicer about it, could not have you know, shown me more respect and just never pressured me to go back full time until I was ready. So yes, I just feel like VTOS does a phenomenal job at supporting their employees and making sure that they're okay too, because this is a hard job and we take a lot of this on and we take a lot of it home. And again, I feel like I've always had managers that are encouraging PTO, making sure you're taking time for yourself. So yeah, I feel like VTOS does a phenomenal job taking care of their employees. Well, I'm very touched to, to hear that both of you feel that VTAS and your coworkers and your leaders support the whole you, right? Both personally and professionally. That's wonderful to hear. And I'm glad that you're truly feeling that day in and day out because the work the two of you do is nothing short of incredible. Before we wrap up, we're going to do a segment called Passion in Action Moments. And we want to capture from each of you one of the most memorable moments that you recall as you have served patients and their caregivers. And so I'll give you a second to just think about that, but would love to hear that example. Marty, can we start with you? Yes, this has been years ago, but I had a little home patient and she loves sign language and she taught me how to sign I love you. 
And I was there. And shortly before her death, she signed, I love you and whispered, I love you. And that was my last communication with her. And at Christmas time, her family got me this fluffy, soft fleece. And they gave it to me. And it's in my car. And um, if we go traveling, my husband calls it my wooby. And he'll say, well, Marty, do you have that with you? And so her little presence goes with me. I, it's in my car today. And so I just think about her. And her last words were, I love you. Oh, how incredibly sweet. Ellie, how about yourself? What's an example of your memorable moment? This is so difficult because in reflecting back, it's almost like every every moment has been so memorable. Every death has had some type of impact on me, has left some kind of mark, but one that does come to mind. So I had a patient who was completely with it when he came on our services, sick with heart failure. He had four daughters that were all very involved in his care. So we had a group text message going and I had him for maybe a year, but we had some hardships with him. He started in assisted living and eventually we had to have the conversation that he had to move over to the skilled side. And that was a difficult time. He felt very betrayed by me. He was very upset that I was pushing for this because he needed more care. He was in a little bit of denial. We ended up you know, reconciling once he got over there, he was okay. But we, we had just been through a lot together. He really trusted me and confided in me. And eventually he needed to go to our inpatient unit when he started the process of dying. Um, and it was during COVID. So you were only allowed one visitor at a time there. And at this point, it wasn't required of me to go see him because he was in the care of our inpatient unit. But I wanted to see him one last time. And I went up, only one daughter was allowed to go with me. And she said, now I just want to prepare you, Ellie. He, he looks a lot different. It was almost like she was coaching me. She said, he looks a lot different and he's not responsive. He hasn't been responsive in 24 hours. And I went in the room and I touched his hand and I said, it's your turn to rest now. You've, you've done what you needed to do. It's your turn. And he smiled. And the daughter was just like, he has not done anything in 24 hours. I cannot believe he just smiled at you. So we went down to the courtyard. That's where all the family was gathered. And they were able to share that story. And it just gave me a lot of peace and a lot of closure just because we had had a difficult journey. And it was, it was beautiful that he was able to give me that gift. Oh, absolutely beautiful. That's a wonderful story as well. Thank you for sharing. As we are wrapping... I wonder if there might be any advice that either of you or both of you would share with someone, one of our listeners who may be considering a career in hospice. What advice would you give them? Marty? Well, it's more than a job. It's so individualized. I enjoy, I think my love language is acts of kindness and service. And it is a job where you can do the extra thing. And it's just so important. The little things that you can do for someone as in their last days is just it's priceless. And that is why I'm still working. I never planned to work this long, but there's really no reason to quit because it's such a fulfilling job. Great advice. Ellie, how about you? What advice would you give someone considering a career in hospice? I would say not to be afraid of it. It can seem daunting, I think, starting out, but not to be afraid and to just 
find somebody to learn from when you go into it. There's so much to learn. And just going off of what Marty said, it is just so fulfilling. I always tell people that ask what kind of nursing I'm doing. When I say hospice, I said, I don't think I will ever do anything else in my nursing career except hospice. I am just so passionate about it. I just believe we're doing such important work. And again, the patient is going to pass either way. And I'd rather them pass with me and everybody have, you know, everything that they need. And I know that I can provide that to them. So yeah, my biggest piece of advice, I feel like, would just not to be afraid. Again, great advice. Well, I have to tell you both, I really appreciate, you know, spending this time with both of you. You were, you were wonderful. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Passion in Action. I want to extend a huge thanks to Ellie and Marty for joining us today to discuss caring for caregivers. If you are inspired by their stories and interested in learning more about career opportunities at VTOS, please visit careers.vtos.com. You can find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time on Passion in Action from VTOS Healthcare.